I invite you to take your Bibles that are in front of your seat in front of you, and we're going to turn to Deuteronomy 6 and read verse 4 through 9, and it's on page 284. The passage that we read this morning was specially chosen by Don and Evan. Verse 4. O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship we've had already, for the sacrament of baptism where you reach down and you have claimed Theo and Oscar as your children. We thank you for the faith of the parents and of Cornelia as they promise to help raise them to know you, and as we promise to walk alongside them. Lord, all in this context of worship, we have prayed, we have sung praises, and now we've heard your word. And Lord, we pray that your spirit will shape us and form us more and more into the people you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that the words which will be spoken now, Lord, may they be your words and not mine. Pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Mm, baptism, the passage you chose us. Huge responsibilities for parents all of a sudden. It's, uh, you go, oh, as we think about it, we go, we can't do this on our own. And that's why I have heard so often from, from people, sometimes even within the church, where we say, well, we'll just tell them who Jesus is, but you know what, we'll let them make up their own mind, kind of as they grow older. And I always cringe when I hear that. How many of you remember the Andy Griffith show? Now, this is going to date you. Yeah, let's see. I don't see anybody under 45 or so sticking up their hand. But it was a show of a, of a sheriff, and he had a son named O.P., and they were in the town of Mayfield, and everything got figured out in 26 minutes, whatever problem was going on in town. But it was also, you know, those stereotypical small-town America, small-town Canada even, where the church and, and, and just good, common-sense faith kind of shaped people's lives. Well, one, in one of the episodes, a, a hobo comes up to, uh, to Andy. Now, just using the word hobo, I know that some of you are going, huh. a hobo is kind of a drifter, uh, somebody who's just kind of making their way through town. Well, he said he should just let his son, Opie, decide for himself how he wanted to live. 
And his dad, Andy, had these words of wisdom. No, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't, you can't let a young un decide for himself. He'll grab at that first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out that there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter that it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. All a parent can do is say, wait, and trust me, and try to keep temptation away. A lot of parents today just want to be their kid's best friend. I always told my kids, oh, I feel sorry for you because you ain't my best friend. And uh, you're going to have to do what I tell you, whether you like it or not. But our society tells us that we have to, we have to raise, elevate our children into such an important spot that they almost or sometimes do become little gods in our lives. They become more important sometimes than God is to us. And we'll even, we'll even let them set the agendas, set them say, okay, um, you know what, I'd rather go to um, band practice or to hockey or to wherever instead of church or cadets or gems or youth group. And lots of parents say, yeah, sure, that's great. Um, I want you to be happy. I want you to experience life. But then you take away from them the deepest things of life. You take away from them the community of faith, the friendships of those who are being raised to know Jesus and put Jesus first of all. And that's why I love this passage that you chose. Because this passage tells us, hey, we've got to soak our kids in the faith. We, we've got to just bathe them in who God is and who Jesus is. It shows that you understand the importance of your responsibility to raise your children to know and love God to understand who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done for us on the cross, and the forgiveness we find in Jesus' loving sacrifice there. Parents have the most influence on their kids, even though it feels for a time that we don't. I remember a, a friend of mine saying, my daughter just floored me the other night. She came home from a party and she said, Dad, you know, they were kind of doing things there I wasn't comfortable and I just kept hearing your voice say, respect yourself, honor yourself, remember who you belong to, who you are. And she said, I got a ride home from somebody else. I just heard your voice reminding me of who I am. Our kids do hear our voices. They hear the voices of aunts and uncles. They hear the voices of older cousins and great uncles and great aunts. They hear your voices because, because you care so much because you're family. And even as cadet counselors, gem counselors, youth counselors, Sunday school teachers, you're part of family to them, part of Bethel family. Don't ever underestimate your influence on our children because they know you and they know how much you care for them. 
Ultimately, your children will look to you for guidance and for their values. And the more we get to know God, the more that love for God grows in us. It all begins with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I love that you sing it every night. It just reminds, you know, Cornelia and Theodore and Oscar, you know, who they are. And it reminds them of who God is. Shema comes from the word listen. Basically, Moses is telling the Israelites to listen to the Lord your God to his call on your lives, reminding them who God is. Now they're camping at the foot of Mount Sinai when they're first hearing this. And they have just come from Egypt and they have just been saved. They've come through the Red Sea. They've kind of experienced a couple things where God had to soften some bitter water and, and now God has given them commandments and, and way, a way of life. And now Moses is saying, hey, pay attention here. Remember whose you are. Remember who God is. He's one. Because the Israelites have been so long in Egypt that they had started to see the world like the Egyptians did, that there's a whole pile of gods out there. There's gods everywhere you turn around, but you never know how they're going to act. These gods basically are just kind of like superhuman humans with all the bad attitudes and issues that we have. But they just got more power. So you got to do all kinds of sacrifices and things to, to kind of keep them happy or at least keep them out of your lives until you need something and then you give them sacrifices to bribe them to do what you want them to do. Mm, Moses is saying that's not who God is. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. Only one God. He's given you all these commandments so that you don't have to guess what makes him happy. You, you don't have to give sacrifices because you're afraid that, that he's going to mess up with your lives in some kind of way. Moses is saying... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's given you these commandments to help you know who he is. God asks for their love, not for their fear. And he asks for a love that comes from deep inside of them, from their heart and soul, and with all their strength. Moses goes on. You know, these commandments that show you who God is, show you who God wants you to be as his people, I give to you today to be on your hearts. They're not just written on parchment or on stone. But Moses says, God wants them on your hearts to shape who you are. I really appreciated how you saw these commandments as a gift that's something that, that, that God gave Israel and said, here, I love you. That's why I give these to you. One of the key ways we show our love to God is through obedience. Taking his commandments seriously. Trusting that God knows what's best for us. See, whenever we go against God's commandment, we're telling him 
Nah, you don't know what's best for us. I know better than you do. And then God just weeps. He says, if only you can trust me. I want what's best for you. I want you to become the best person of who you are. And that's why I've given you these commands. God wants to create a holy people whose character, both as individuals and as a community, is built on the foundation of worshiping and following God in every part of their lives. Jesus later on tells his followers that their obedience is how they show him that they love him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, he said. And he summarizes all the Father's commandments by, by repeating Moses, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, which is the point of the first five commandments. The first five of the Ten Commandments. And he says, and love your neighbor as yourself as the point of the last five commandments. The first five commandments. They're there to protect God's honor from us. They're there to show us how to treat God, how to live in a relationship with him, how, who God is, that he is a holy God, that he can't let sin and all of our stuff influence him and infect him. And it doesn't. That's the whole reason Jesus came and he would touch sinners and he would touch lepers and he would touch people that would make him unclean and instead of becoming unclean, they all became healed and clean. When Jesus comes near to us, when God comes near to us, we don't infect him, he does make us clean. But sometimes that cleansing can be painful and God doesn't want us to have to experience that and then the last five commandments, they're to protect our neighbor from us. I remember one person saying, wait a minute. What do you mean protecting my neighbor from me? And I said, well, these are all heart stuff. This is all shaping and forming who you are. Naturally, you want what's not yours. Naturally, you want to take everybody else's stuff. Naturally, you want to be the boss of everybody else. You want everybody else to listen and pay attention to you. That's what the last five commandments are to remind you, that you are there to build up your neighbor. You are there to encourage them. You are there to actually put their needs first to help them accomplish and become who God's creating them to be. But remember, deep down inside, that's not who you are. It took me a long time to come to grips with that I naturally want to take and hurt my neighbor, take my neighbor's stuff and hurt them. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, emotionally, financially, whatever. That's where greed and lust and all those other things come from. And that's where the parenting stuff comes in. Impress these commands on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This is everyday stuff. This is going through the day, faith-growing stuff in your kids. 
This is intentional faith training for your children. As parents, your main task is to show them who God is. Help them see God all around them. To to help them see the book of creation that the Belgic Confession talks about, that no matter where they see, whatever they look at, they can see God's presence and God's glory shining through to shape how they live as a children of God, shaped by His values, centered on His commandments. And it's your job as parents, our job as those who walk alongside you, as family, as church family, to help your children see God's heart, who He is, and then to show them what our hearts are supposed to be like. We teach our children to obey by obeying God's commands ourselves. Talk about God while you're at home. And you do. I love that. When you first sang that, the Shema song for me and, and then you sent me the video for it, I thought, wow, what a great thing to do each night with your kids. Do it when you're sitting at the dinner table. Or while doing chores around the house. I know they don't do much chores yet. But uh, yeah, teaching, teaching them as they pick up their toys that God is a, a God who creates order out of chaos. Um, I've seen Cornelia's room. So uh. <laughs> to see, to shape how they live as the children of God, shaped by his values and centered on his commandments. To show who God is, that God is a God of love, that God is a God who cares about us so much that he wants us to know exactly what he expects from us and what our hearts are supposed to be like. So talk about them, you know. Moses said, while you're on the road or while you're in the field or whatever, well, today Moses might have said... Talk about these things while you're on your tablet or watching television. Talk about them on the way to volleyball or badminton or hockey practices. Share with your children at bedtime how you've seen God at work during the day as you pray with them. Sing them the Shema song. You can find it on YouTube. When you get up in the morning together, begin by thanking God for His grace and asking for His guidance in the day ahead. This is how you make your faith a day-long thing, a day-long part of your lives as a family and as individuals, teaching yourselves and the children to see God at work everywhere you go and in every place that you end up. Oh, my Pac on Friday night would say as we were going out, remember that wherever you go, Jesus is there too. So whatever you're doing, if you can't ask Jesus to do it with you, you really shouldn't be doing it. And I kind of always went, oh, but it reminded me and it reminded all of us as grandkids and kids that Jesus is wherever we are. There is no place where Jesus isn't. And that creates habits of faith that remain with them through their entire life. Now, the Israelites are told to tie the laws of God on their hands and on their foreheads. And when we lived in Montreal, I asked a friend who's Jewish, he says, on your heads and... and and, and on your arms, on your wrists, like, really? And he said, well, think about it this way. With your, with your head, there's your mind, there's your brain. 
So the thoughts you have, the beliefs that you have, the things you choose to think about and influence your brain shapes who you are as a person. So by keeping the, the laws of God right on your head, forehead, and, and these were specific passages. The two passages that were on the forehead came from Exodus 13, uh, about consecrating every firstborn male to the Lord. So they take it that every child belongs to the Lord. So by reminding themselves, that shapes their thinking, their mind, their beliefs. I believe in the Lord our God. The Lord is one. I believe that he has given me these commandments for myself, that I am consecrated to him. I have been chosen by him. And then he said, we put them on our hand. And the passages on the hand are from Deuteronomy 11 um, and Deuteronomy 6. Part of these verses, the going everywhere through your day, remember everything that you do has to be for the Lord as well. And then the passage from Deuteronomy 11 ends with this. So that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. In our thinking, in our doing, and by teaching our children that all our thinking and doing is because we're consecrated to the Lord, we belong to the Lord, and we do it for the Lord, what you're doing is you're placing eternity in their hearts. Because you're, you're creating habits of faith that convict them over and over again of who they are as the children of God. And then they're told to write them, these commandments, on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And my friend said, remember, this comes just after the exodus. They had sacrificed lambs and they put the blood on the door frames. And that had protected them from the angel of death. It says, and now we put, we put these laws, these commandments on the doorways of our house so that every time we walk in the doorway, we are reminded of God's commands for who we are. And we're reminded that these commandments are a gift of life. That just as God protect, protected them from death, he now protects them into life. And I thought, wow, there is so much more to this passage than I had ever realized and then it points to the fact that God makes a new covenant different than the one at Sinai. And we read about that in Jeremiah 31. I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It'll not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Just a few chapters later on, Moses goes up in the mountain for 40 days. And the Israelites right away create an idol out of their gold. They create lambs to worship or calves to worship. And Moses just shakes his head in anger. They broke the covenant that quickly. So God says, this is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. 
for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Instead of putting the law on parchment or on stone, God says, I'm going to put it right on your hearts. I'm going to shape your hearts directly. It's pointing us to Pentecost, to to Jesus' gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the gift that keeps pointing us back to Jesus, reminding us of who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross, the forgiveness that, that takes us into that eternity with him. The challenge to us is to listen to the Spirit's guidance as we read scripture together, as we make prayer a regular part of our life together as families and church as we look to the Spirit to keep our head, our heart, and our hands Jesus-oriented. And when our hearts are turned to God, obedience flows out of love rather than obligation. This is why Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, to remind us of Jesus' forgiveness and grace found on that cross. And then the Spirit works in our hearts to transform us into the people of God who are a blessing to the nations. As we model Jesus, as we go make faithful disciples shape by the Holy Spirit. And as the baptism vows reminded us to live out Jesus' command to love God with everything we have and are, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and then to share that with them. Thank you for choosing this passage. Huge blessing for me this week. And I pray it was a blessing for you as well. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you give us your law, your commands to show us who you are, that you are a God who is to be honored above everything else, everyone else, and that we are to be a people to love our neighbor and to build them up and to help them be who, you, who you've called them to be as well. And Lord, we thank you that even though we mess up again and again and again, that you never gave up on us, that you sent Jesus, that you sent your spirit so that we can, each one of us, know who you are through the presence of your spirit in our hearts. So Lord, may we be faithful to you. May our obedience come out of a deep, deep love for you and a deep, deep love for each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.